0: Let's go now to God's Word. Uh, We are launching a new series today on the Kingdom of God and what life looks like when we believe that God is reigning on His throne and that He has inaugurated a kingdom among us through which the world is changed and we are changed. And so this morning we're going to start in John chapter 3 looking at this whole idea of the Kingdom. So let's go now.
1: How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe... How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of God for his people. Praise be to God. Thank you, Donna.
0: Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you're a God that speaks, that you do not leave us to try to feel our way through the darkness and through this life. But you have spoken and your word is light to our paths. But Father... We need eyes to see and ears to hear. We need you to open our eyes. We need you to open our ears that we might see and hear the glories of your kingdom, the glory of your King, that we might know purpose and life, that we might discover and be discovered. And so we pray that you would send your Spirit. We pray, O God, that we would be born of the Spirit and not Merely of flesh. We need eyes to see and ears to hear. So would you come and would you use me this morning in spite of me and all because of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw a poll this week that really fascinated me that said that 58% of Trump supporters are eager to cast their vote for Trump. And yet, only 46% of Clinton voters are eager to cast their vote. And that struck me. It, It caught my attention because what that says is, since Clinton is leading in practically every poll, that the majority of voters are not excited about casting their vote for Clinton. (laughs) And so what What that tells me is that instead of being excited about casting their vote for Clinton, they are really voting against Trump. And as I thought about this, it's really unique in my lifetime at least that we come to an election as non-exciting, or at least where I've seen the country really... Not too excited about casting their votes. I had a friend, and he's a missionary of this church, uh, Joseph Inger. We were Skyping. Uh, he is in India, and we were Skyping one night recently, and he said, one of my neighbors came up to me and, and jokingly said, hey, it looks like America is having an Indian election. And what he meant by that was, there it's really not a choice, or it's really a choice between two bad choices. And I thought, you know, whereas that may be unique for some of us in this day, that has not been unique at all if you look at history. In fact, if you look at the history of God's people, uh, for the overwhelming majority of the time, the people of God have never even had any part to play in who is ruling over them. We can go back to God's people in the Old Testament and see that the Jews, Israel, were held captive. They were enslaved as slaves for 430 years. We just finished uh, our study on the book of Hebrews, and we looked at this whole reality that, um, that under Nero in Rome in the first century, that the church was persecuted. They were called out and isolated, and they were killed, and they uh, were driven from their homes. Their property was confiscated from them. And as we look throughout church history, we see that was not an isolated reality. That was the reality of the church. And even Jesus himself, as his disciples were watching him being persecuted, said, Hey, don't be surprised when you are too. Because do you think that you're greater than your teacher? No, you're not greater than your master. So expect persecution. Expect to be uh, um, treated unjustly. Expect to be isolated in a corner. Expect to be put over here. And to really have no decision or power or influence when it comes to who is ruling over you in regards to government. And yet there's also something that stands out in church history. If you look at the history of God's people, you see that the church was not swayed by who was governing them. But they were a radical community of love. They were a radical community of self-sacrificing generosity. They were this radical community of joy and laughter and hope in the face of hopelessness. And as we come to our passage this morning, we are seeing how and why that was. We see it in the dialogue between Nicodemus, the Jewish leader and Pharisee, and Jesus. And what we see is that the people of God have always had, in the central reality of what their faith is put in is In this reality that God Almighty is going to reign as a king over his kingdom on this earth. That that is the central hope of Christianity. And that if that is the hope of Christianity, that we have a good king who reigns sovereignly over this world and his kingdom is manifest today among us in this world, then no matter what is happening in Washington... No matter who is sitting in the White House, no matter what is going on in our personal lives, no matter our circumstances, we have a hope because we have a king and a kingdom that transcends any circumstance in this world. And what concerns me is to see not the world saying being all gloomy in light of the elections, but to see the church gloomy in light of the election. And so as we come to this, this series and this whole reality, what I want us to do is understand that we have hope no matter how hopeless this world. And we need to see that hope and embrace that hope and be the kingdom people of God. So how do we find hope in a hopeless world? What is our hope in a hopeless world? To have hope in a hopeless world, you have to see the kingdom of God love this Whitney and Jed uh, Whitney my daughter Jed my son-in-law they have three children the two oldest are boys Brayden and Bennett and Whitney has done this brilliant thing of, of writing down funny things and interesting things that that the boys say and this past week she texted a few of the things they said a year ago so Brayden was probably five, maybe you know almost about to turn five, and Bennett was um, three and so they i don't know if they were at our uh, in our nursery or flip side or if they were at their preschool um, or or um, kindergarten but here's what Braden said a year ago. Uh, Whitney said, "What did you learn today and um, Braden said, "I learned that in heaven i'm going to have a heavenly body and then um Whitney looked at Bennett and said, Bennett, what did you learn today? He said, I learned I got a heart, and I'm going to get to fly to work, and I got a mustache. So, <laughs> so apparently, in the new heaven and the new earth, uh, Bennett's going to have a mustache, and that is glory. Uh, facial hair is his hope. I don't know where that kid came from. Uh, that's all I can say. Or maybe I do. We all have hope. It's what unites us. You don't have to teach hope to a child. They are born with hope. There are just not many four-year-olds that are skeptics and that are questioning. Mean, children have hope and we have hope. That's why you're here today. Even if you are here and you are doing this to the gospel, you're doing this to God, you're just waiting for the fish fry and mempops. The reality is, you have hope. Maybe in the fish fry and mempops, but you have hope. And that is universal. And what we see in Nicodemus is that he wanted to hope with a Christian hope so badly. And we see it in his, his remark to Jesus in, in, in verse 2. He comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, we know that you're a teacher of God because who can do these miraculous things unless you're from God? And then Jesus looks at him. And I love this. He looks at him, he says, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, no one will enter the kingdom of God unless he, no one will see the kingdom of God unless he is born anew. And you're like, whoa. Jesus, I mean, you know, Nicodemus comes at the bell of night. Maybe it was past Jesus' bedtime. Maybe he was just a little impatient. I mean, what? He didn't say anything about the kingdom. So what was Jesus getting at? Jesus knew that there was a question behind the statement. He could sense the timidity of Nicodemus. He could tell that Nicodemus wanted to ask a question. How many in here have ever owned a truck? Anybody in here ever owned a truck or a Suburban, a big car? Okay, when someone calls you and says, Hey, are you using your truck Saturday? That is not the question they're asking. What they're asking is, can I borrow your truck? But they're too timid to come out right and say it, right? That's what's going on here. Nicodemus has a question and it's burning. You see, the Jews, their their primary hope, the central hope that they had, was an earthly, tangible, now hope. They were looking for an earthly king that God would send according to His promises throughout the Old Testament. This hope that would make the reality of a kingdom that would bring justice and righteousness and turn everything to right today. And so, what Nicodemus was doing, he was coming. Maybe his marriage was on the rocks. Maybe his teenage children were rebellious and running away from home. Uh, maybe he was about to lose his job. Maybe he had. Already, may, I don't know what it was, but there was every. There was this questioning, this this sincere questioning coming from Nicodemus, and we see how sincere it was by the end of the book because he comes up again after Jesus's after Jesus dies. And yet what Nicodemus is asking is, can I hope in you? Are you the one that has come, that God has sent to bring an end to all that is bad in this world? Are you the essence of my desiring? Are you the hope of everything that is wrong to be made right? Jesus, are you the one? We see this throughout the Old Testament. Listen to Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. You say today we just turn on our hose, sprinkles our lawn. Big deal. Go to Whole Foods. Go to Miss Cordelia's. Go to Kroger. Go to Cash. Sa- no, no, no. In this culture, farming was everything. If something didn't grow, you didn't eat. There was famine. And so think about that. You're in a desert. Your hope is the crop. Listen to this: The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. What does that mean? Rain, stuff grows. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. I had to look up. What the, do we have crocus today? I don't know. There were pictures. These beautiful flowers that just open up—reds and yellows and blues—and that's the picture. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. How shall the world see the majesty of our God and the glory of the Lord? By the prosperity of the crops among God's kingdom. That's how they know that the king has come. It's not because there was a revival and people gave their lives to Jesus. It was this physical, tangible reality. That the crops would bud, that the flowers would bloom, that God would bless His earth. Strengthen the weak hands, or that they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, oh, is anybody anxious this morning? Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you, and a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion, any fools in here, hallelujah. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. Imagine being in the desert, living in the desert, wild beasts, lions, predators. No, not in glory, not in the new heaven and the new earth. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Isn't that beautiful? Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You see, there will become this new exodus that the, the Red Sea will part and the people of God will come through and there will be a land of abundance and the king will dwell in their midst and he will reign righteously. And those that want to use us, those that want to abuse us, systems and structures that want to impose and isolate certain races will be no more. And the people of God will live in peace and prosperity because the King of kings and the Lord of lords reigns. It was a tangible reality. And the whole Old Testament was like this appetizer saying, come, 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 and you're so hungry and you want to eat so bad, and you're believing and you're believing, and yet the hunger pains are there. This was the hope of the people of God. Listen to Isaiah 40. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. Oh, he won't want to abuse you. He won't. Put, th- put this in the context of our election. Do you want to be ruled by someone like this? Like one who has our best interest in heart One who has no power agenda. There is no president in the history of this country that can even come close, come close to touching the goodness of what is being described here. Behold, the Lord your God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Friends, that was the hope of the people of God. And it is the hope of the people of God today. It's not changed. And that's why in this passage, Jesus doesn't just say you need to be born again. He says you need to be born anew to see the kingdom. To have your hopes fulfilled. To have your longings fed you say where is the kingdom then in Luke chapter 17 Jesus said this the kingdom is among you the kingdom is among you the kingdom has come at the inauguration of the kingdom was the resurrection of Jesus Christ in this world when Jesus went dead into the tomb and on the third day he came to life what he was saying was the king is now going to his throne and the kingdom of God is with men And the kingdom of God is with my church. Isn't that beautiful? That's why the deepest longing of our heart is to pray. How did the Lord teach us to pray? Thy kingdom come on earth, on earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. So the question this morning is, do you see the kingdom? Or are you reading the commercial appeal and listening to Channel 5 News or reading the Washington, Post, whatever. It, do you see, do you see the kingdom? God's reign is among His church. And His kingdom is advancing among us and you say, well, I just don't see it. Well, you're not looking. You don't have eyes to see. I saw it this week as an email stream came across my server and I watched some of our deacons and other members of the church passionately worried and concerned about one that was in our body but went to 201 Poplar and he's been there for several months, but he's about to get out. And you know what the email stream was talking about? How are we going to get him a place to live? How are we going to bring community around him? You see, there are issues, specific issues there where he really can't work. It's one of the many that live on our street and... They're just a, a by, they're just a byproduct of our society and they're left behind. And yet those with eyes to see understand this is a person made in the image of God. He is a kingdom kingdom bearer. and he has inestimable worth and we must take care of him and we must love him. And it's not what He can give us. It's what God has given us to give to him. And I see it in 250 plus churches in this town in response to the closing down of the bridge. Churches, black church, white church, coming together saying, what can we do? We've been apart too long. And we are meeting on Monday nights and we are working together. And there is great theological difference among us. And yet the kingdom people are coming together demanding, we must be the kingdom of God in Memphis. We can't wait any longer, and we must repent for waiting. We should never have been waiting. The hope of Memphis is the the king who has his kingdom, and we are the kingdom leaders. What in the world have we been waiting on? I see it as I see professionals coming together and asking the question, why has God given me business sense and training? How can I use my training to, to fuel kingdom work in the city? I see it in the schools through MTR I see it through the I see it all over The kingdom of God is advancing as the goodness of Christ is manifest among his people and his people simply love God and love neighbor Do you see the kingdom of God are you part of the kingdom of God And then secondly to have hope in a seemingly hopeless world you have to come alive to the king About three and a half years ago, Rachel, my wife, um, just kind of threw out, hey, honey, I'm going to buy some some paints and uh, a canvas, and I'm going to start painting. I was like, really? Like, can you paint? And a lot of skepticism. And she said, well... My third grade teacher told me I was really good, and, and like, all right, honey, you know, I'm thinking this midlife crisis, we're empty nesters. All right, go for it. Uh, well, three years later, I want you to look at something. Yeah, go to the next one. She's gonna kill me. There you go. Uh, that sold in about five minutes on Facebook. I want you to want you to know. Uh, I was thinking, you know. I thought I married an athlete. I thought I married an outdoorsman. I've obviously married that and an artist. Over the last three years, she has come alive to painting. She's come alive to a new love. I can barely get her out of her art. We had to change one of the rooms in our house uh, to be her art studio. If you were to go in my house right now, there are paintings all over the da- It's everywhere. And she is a neat freak. Or she was until three and a half years ago. <laughs> I'm like, what happened to the woman that I married? And yet she's come alive to painting. When we moved to Colorado, I made fun of people that went fly fishing. Said, oh, that's sissy fishing. They use those pole. They just kind of throw it around. And, you know, I use a rod and reel. I'm a bass fisherman. I'm from the south. You know, well, it didn't take me long. Uh, I'm now a fly fisherman, and I, I think and I dream about fly fishing. And I, I study it online, and I think about the next time I can get on a stream somewhere. I've come alive to fly fishing. If there's any concept that the church has just radically blown it on, it's probably this most important reality of what it means to be born again. What it means to be born anew. We experience something like it all the time. If I ask you, you know, what do you do? Or, you know, tell me what you love to do. You could tell me forever. I mean, there are people that actually love to, like, you know I guess you grow breed butterflies and have gardens where butterflies come and they ha- I talked to they could talk for days about butterflies I'm like that's crazy but it's not to them because they've come alive to something and what it means to to see the kingdom of god is to come alive to the king it's to come alive to the one who sits on the throne and who brings purpose and meaning to our lives. We were not created for anything in this world to satisfy us but God. And when God is satisfying you, then everything else can can feed that love. Once you come alive to God, then everything else can come into perspective in that love. But it doesn't rule you, it doesn't govern you. And nothing can take it away. Jesus told Nicodemus that he had to come alive to the the kingdom of God. And the only way to do that is by coming alive to the king himself. And when you come alive to the king, you begin to love what he's about. And you begin to love and do what he's called you to do. So what does it look like to come alive to God? What on earth, why in the world, would someone come alive to God? This week I was over at the Orpheum, actually the Halloran Center, and I picked up their winter program, and the first play of the winter is Annie. And something in me just went, oh, you've got to be kidding me if I have to see another 12-year-old girl with a red wig on saying the sun will come out tomorrow one more time, I think I'm going to lose my breakfast, you know. And then my next thought was, I wonder how much tickets are. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why? How in the world can Annie make enough money for it to be the featured show, the very first draw? of the winter season. I mean, it's a story about this little orphan girl who's cast out, who has no hope. She has no mother, no father, and the life that she lives is one of servitude. She's neglected. She's overlooked. She's put in a corner. She has no hope. But then Daddy Warbucks. And Daddy Warbucks comes along and... He's the richest man in the world and he's connected with all the world leaders and he comes and he falls in love with little Annie. And little Annie becomes his daughter. And he adopts her. And that's the story. That's it. That's all, I mean, sorry if I ruin it for you if you've never gone to see it. That's it. How in the world can that story be repeated over and over and over and over again? It's because that is the story that everybody wants to be their own. If you read the Bible, if you go back to Genesis and you see what happened after Adam and Eve rebelled against God, you know, God put them out he put them out of the garden they were created to live with god they were created to walk with god in the garden i love that picture just walking just hanging with god in the garden that's what they were created for they were created to work and subdue and rule and and be productive and be like a 5 year old who draws a picture that you it's not even discernible what they're drawing and run up and their daddy say oh that's wonderful go go back at it that's what we're made for and yet after Adam and Eve sinned, we were put outside of the garden. And we've been fighting our way back every, every minute of every single day. And you know what the gospel says? The gospel says that through Jesus the king, the first thing that the king conquered was sin and death, the two things that keep us back from father, the father being our father. And we see this in We all right? All right. Scared me a little bit. Uh, I had someone literally die when I was preaching a funeral one time on the front row. And so, whenever that happens, it kind of, I've got kind of post traumatic, you know, want to make sure everybody's good. We got doctors in here that, uh, I don't know any other preacher that had somebody die at the funeral they were preaching, but, uh, That's my luck right there. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) You know the hope of the gospel? The hope of, of the gospel is Galatians 4, where we read, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. The Father sent the Spirit into our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father. So we are no longer slaves. But we are sons. You know what that means? Do you know why God had to, you know why we have to be born of the Spirit? It's because we are all Nicodemus. We all want to hope and believe that there's a God out there that could love us. That there's a God out there that could embrace us and say, come on in. That there's a God out there that could see everything that we've done and everything that we haven't done and said, you're mine. Do you know, and I just found this out in the last year, that at least in Georgia, that if if, if a, um, a parent, if someone adopts a child, they cannot write them out of their will. You can write your biological child out, children out of the will. But you cannot write the adopted children out of the will. Wow. And that's God's love for His people. And all you have to do is fall into it. All you have to do is believe the hardest thing there is to believe, and that is that God could love you, and the message of the kingdom is for you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God could love you? That Jesus has come and He's done all the work that you know you should be doing, and He gave it to the Father and said, Here, accept it on His behalf, on her behalf. And that now all you got to do is believe it. Receive it, that you might see the kingdom, that you might have purpose in your life. Do you believe it? Well, to believe it and to have eternal hope in a hopeless world, Jesus must be your hope, finally. Jesus must be your hope. You see, now we come to the end and now we're understanding why we need a king and, a, and, and, and to get us into the kingdom, because we need one to rule our hearts to endear us to the Father, to bring us to God, to convince us daily that we are beloved children so that we might begin living like children who live in the kingdom of God. I don't know if you noticed it this morning, but I noticed it. I saw Justin walk into church, and I kind of popped him. I said, how about those Broncos? (laughs) You know why the men and some of the women in here are walking with the little uh, spring to their step? Football season has begun. Thank you, God. There is hope. And there was hope last night. Double overtime, baby. The Arkansas Razorbacks putting it to the Horned Frog. There we go. We've got an Arkansas fan down here. My team and my hopes and my dreams were fulfilled until next week. And that's the reality of the hopes that we have in the things of the world. You see, for us, we were built for hope, and we're all looking for something to hope in. And it's really irrational, the things that we hope in. It's a hobby. It's a job. It's, it's our 401K. It's an athletic team. It's this. It's that. It's, it's the good things that we do. It's all just very are very irrational. And yet to see the kingdom of God and to be a member of the kingdom of God and to find the purpose for which you were created, all you have to do is hope in the King whose name is Jesus. All you must do is come to Him and say, I have been hoping in everything wrong. And it's not that the things are bad. In fact, most people are pulled away from God hoping in very good things. Things that we should be enjoying, but not worshiping. That's how Jesus makes it clear. He points to this time in Israel's history when the people of God misplaced their hopes and began turning their back on God. And they started complaining, saying, God, you, you know, we're tired of this food that you're giving us because we've been eating bread now for 40 days. We're sick of it. It's time for steak. It's time for anything but what you're giving us. You know what God did? He sent snakes among them, and many were bit, and many died. And then the people do what they always do. They turn back to God. Okay, God, you're right. Our hope is not in food. Our hope is not in what you can do for us, but it's in you and you alone. And God said, okay, Moses, make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, lift it up in the middle of the camp, and anybody who would but humble themselves, turn from their pride, and look at the bronze snake. And yeah, you can almost hear God, it's almost laughable. I mean, this is how God's going (laughs) to save his people, is by a bronze snake. Hold it up, Moses. Because that's how ignorant and hard-headed and stubborn my people are. Because they will find anything and everything but me. To bring them hope. And so what Jesus says in this passage, so the, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Eternal life. Dear friend, that's what you were built for. You were built for eternal life. You weren't built to just enjoy whatever it is you're trying to enjoy. You weren't just built for that tiny dream that if God would just give you that little house in the country or that little, you know, flat in the city or that job or that spouse or that this education or that education or this amount of money or that amount of money or... You were built for so much more. You were built for more. You were built for a king and a kingdom. You were built to come into the love of the king and be able to serve him. You say, you've always heard that you got to give up all this stuff in order to become a Christian. Right. When my wife got this love of painting, she had to give up a ton of her time. And she hadn't regretted any of it. We've had to give up money. I, I, I have to save up. You know my sky miles or whatever. You know I to be able to go to a river and fly fish, and I never think about the cost. I only think about how to get what I need to pay the cost. Don't you see it? When you love something, you give up everything for it, and that's the king. I listened to several sermons this week, and I was struck by how downtrodden the preachers were talking about. Seeing the kingdom and being born anew. It's like, what? We have done a horrible job. I mean, there is nothing more attractive. I have never walked into uh, parents who just had a baby. I've never walked in and see a mom saying, Eh, that did not live up to my expectations. <laughs> Take that thing back. I'm done. I mean, I walk in and I can just see it in their face. I mean, it's just like they've been converted that this love that's what it means to come alive to the king it's not this drudgery oh yeah you're gonna give up a whole lot of stuff you're gonna find yourself doing things that you know and I've had you're gonna find yourself doing things that, I can't believe I'm doing this I can't believe I'm giving that away I can't believe I'm do- I can't believe I'm going on this trip I can't believe this right but you want to do it Do you see it? It's not works. It's not, oh, I have... No. It's falling in love with the King who created you for the purpose of eternity so that now you can go to work and no matter what you do, whether you're collecting garbage on, uh, on Monday morning or Tuesday morning or you're running the bank or you're a doctor, it doesn't matter what you're doing. All of a sudden you have purpose because there's a King on His throne and you're working to bring good to those around you. You're working to bring redemption to the, your neighborhood and to the city in which you live. You're fighting for justice and righteousness and equity. And you're using the brains that God has given you toward that end. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that is what it means to come alive to the King and to be a, a, a servant in His kingdom who is an adopted son and daughter. And so I ask you this morning, are you A citizen of the kingdom of God. Do you know the purpose for which you've been made? And do you know the good king? Let's just go to the Lord in prayer right now. And as I pray for us, I am going to ask if there are those in this room that for the first time they want to give their lives to the king of the kingdom. So God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the message of the Gospel and the hope of the Gospel. We thank You that this story and these truths that I've been preaching are just that. They're truths, they're not fabricated myths and fairy tales. But, oh God, this is the meta-narrative behind every narrative that we love and we hunger for. Lord Jesus, You are the object that we're all desiring. So I pray that by Your Spirit You would bring faith to even the most skeptical person in here. That God, someone, many someones would give their lives to you, the King. And find purpose. Oh God, would you work in our hearts and our minds. Father, renew the faith of all of us. Help us to have this vision, not just of our isolated salvation. But help us to see that we are citizens of a kingdom who've been employed by a king as sons and daughters to do your bidding, to bring your healing to the world around us, to bring your life in the context of death, to be an element of peace where there's violence and hatred, to bring forgiveness where there is unforgiveness, to bring love where there's rejection. God, we thank you that these things are true. And so now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you want to give your heart and your life to the King, would you just raise your hand? And I'm just going to acknowledge you, not call you out. Would you just raise your hand? If you want to serve the King you want to be a citizen of His kingdom, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. So, Father, I pray that You would work mightily in all of our hearts that we might have a passion to serve You and love You. And that, Father, even as we Leave this place today that you might remind us of the hope that is within us. That we might truly be alive to you and live as citizens of your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.